Welcome to the Specific Faith Podcast. My name is Eric. This is episode 18. Let me apologize real quick. I know I haven't put out a podcast in about two weeks or so. And before that, I was doing about two a week. And the reason why is because uh, my family's gone through some illnesses with my children and my wife and then me. And then um, some other things have been going on. So I apologize for being so delayed on putting this podcast out. But today, I'm going to do a message that I spoke at a little church here where I live that kind of summarizes uh, this whole podcast, and um, I hope that you enjoy it. Uh, It's a little longer than our normal podcast, but there's a lot of content here, and um, once again, share this with your friends, with your family, share this podcast, and I hope this is a blessing to you. My name is Eric Pearson. We are going to go really fast today. We're going to have you out of here by 1245. Do not worry about that. I am conscientious of things burning in the oven with potluck. I don't want to mess that up. Turn to Mark chapter 4. That's where we're going. If you're not there, uh, go ahead and make your way there. Um, I want you to know that I've had a revelation. I've had an epiphany or an epiphone, if you will. Um, That's a musician's joke, by the way. Uh, An epiphone. Okay. It's nothing new. It's actually really old. If I bring anything new to you today, go ahead and throw me out, right? There's nothing new. Everything's the way that it is. But it's really, really old. And the, the revelation is that the great majority of churches and Christians today have fallen victim to or are proponents of a doctrine known as easy believism. Easy believism has spread throughout the whole world. And there are many of you, maybe some of you, who have believed in easy believism, and you don't even know what easy believism is. I'm here to tell you what it is. Easy believism is the idea that Jesus Christ is your Savior, but He's not your Lord. Do you understand that? You believe in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. You believe in the virgin birth. You believe that the scriptures are true. And one of these days he's coming back, but you do not keep his commandments. That is easy believism. Easy believism has spread throughout the whole world. Well, where did it come from? Well, in 19... I'm glad you asked. In 1924... A man by the name of Dr. Lewis Sperry Schaefer. You can write it down, look him up if you'd like to. He started Dallas Theological Seminary. Very smart, very well-educated theologian who began to teach all over the world. And the proponents of his, or people who, or people who were influenced by him have started campus ministries and colleges. They have started churches. They have started the church growth movement. They have started ministries all over the world, and they took his message into the world, and it has spread like wildfire because easy believism is easy to believe. Now, I'll get into that here in just a little bit. Stay tuned, I promise. 1245, 1230, somewhere around there, we'll get out. Okay, but I'm going to take it. Lewis Sperry Schaefer. And here's some of the things that he's, he started Dallas Theological Seminary in 1924. Um, he said that repentance of sin and surrender to Jesus Christ is not necessary for salvation. 
Repentance of sin and surrender to Jesus Christ is not necessary for salvation. You see the problem? He also said God's call to the unsaved is never to the lordship of Jesus Christ, but to his grace. Isn't that nice that we can separate the lordship of Jesus Christ and his grace? That message spread all over the world. And it's been generational. We have grown up in this. Many of you have heard this. That if you will believe in your heart, Romans 10, 9, and 10, and confess with your mouth. There's nothing wrong with Romans 10, 9, and 10. It's true. I just want you to know the rest of the book of Romans is true also. Amen? Easy believism has spread all over the world. It's everywhere. And now, while we used to be excited about how far Christianity has spread, and how the whole world is coming to faith in Jesus Christ, now we're beginning to see the fruit of easy believism. Do you want to know what the fruit of easy believism is? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. It is those who say, I believe in Jesus Christ for the salvation of my soul, but I don't do what he says. And do you know what that does to the world when we tell them that they're sinners and that we continue in these same things and he's not our Lord? Oh, well, we have the fruit of that also. Do you know what it is? It's the first six rows of this pew being empty. People are not coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you want to know why? They don't believe us anymore. And children are the only ones who are majority coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and that's because they're young and they don't know everything that's called into discipleship with Jesus Christ. And they find out later. Easy believism is destroying Christianity. It is a deception. And if you'll come on Sunday nights, we're for the next five weeks, you're going through the book of Galatians, line by line and verse by verse. And I'm going to show you that that church started out in faith and then departed from a deception. It's the same thing that's going on today. It starts at 5.30 or is it 5? 5 o'clock. Be here tonight, 5 o'clock. How do I know if I have become a victim of easy believism? Wouldn't you like to know? Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. Fantastic parable. I'm going to tell you something remarkable about this parable. A lot of parables are left open for interpretation because it's an earthly imagery with a heavenly meaning, but some of them don't have the explanation. But here in Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives us the commentary. No need to look into it. What he means, he tells us exactly what he means. We're going to go through it just so that you can hear it. All the parable and the commentary. You okay with that? All right. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to start. And let's begin to read. Stay with me. We're going to move fast. And again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it by the sea or on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things in parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen. 
Behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some of the seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. And some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and was immediately sprang up and caused, uh, and immediately it sprang up, and because it had no depth of earth, but when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no crop. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up and increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears, let him hear. What a strange agricultural message Jesus just gave us. Can you believe these people came out to hear him and that's all he said to them? And he said, Bye. Figure it out. That's what he meant. He who has ears, let him hear. You're supposed to go out and, and labor in your mind and figure out what this meant. But thankfully for this parable, Jesus doesn't leave us in the, in the lurch here to figure out what it means. He, some people come to him and they say, tell us what it means. And that's what we're about to go through. Before we go through this, I want you to notice there's four different soils. There's a seed and there's one who sows the seeds. Every one of us in this room are one of these four soils. It's not dirt we're talking about. It's the heart of people. Okay? It's not dirt. It's the heart of people. And when you hear the word, how you respond to the word tells you who you are. Very important. When you hear the word, how you respond to the word tells you who you are. We all want to be the four soil, don't we? There's no one in here who says, you know what, I like the first soil, and I think I'm just going to stay here. If that's the case, you're not here today. All right? We all want to be the fourth soil. It's the only one that produces fruit. Let's look into this illustration of what Jesus is telling us, okay? Starting in verse 10, he says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable, and he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parable, so that seeing they may see and not perceiving, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. When I read this, I ask myself a question. Is Jesus throwing a diversion here? So seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear and they understand. If they could just understand him, they'd turn and their sins would be, what does it say, forgiven them? Did Jesus, like, throw a diversion here? No. He's the Son of God, but he can't tell them he's the Son of God because he has to go die for the sins of humanity. But he also wants to tell them who they are without telling them who he is. So he tells them in parables. But some people come up and they're like, look here, we need to know what this means. Let's begin to read together. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the seed. This is very important. Don't lose this because it will not make sense. The parable will not make sense to you if you think the seed that the sower throws is the person of Jesus Christ. Here's what I mean. There are untold billions of people who know and admire Jesus Christ. 
Do you know that Muslims have Jesus Christ as a high regard? He's a prophet. Well, that didn't bother you. Do you know that Nancy Pelosi? Oh, I'm not getting into that. She believes in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? You want me to go through some more politicians? We're not doing that today. <laughs> Benny Hinn believes in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hitler. If you believe, don't, don't misunderstand this about this parable. The seed is not Jesus Christ, the person. It is his teaching. Do you understand? Everybody playing along? Everybody following what we're doing here? Okay. The sower sows the word. And if you need a reference to that, go to Matthew 13 when Jesus goes through this whole thing. And the parable of the tares, he actually says it's the son of man who's the sower. So there's evidence all throughout that what we're talking about as a seed is not the person of Jesus Christ, but the actual teachings of Jesus. Everybody following me? All right, let's keep going. Verse 15, and there, uh, these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that, the sown, that was sown into their hearts. Okay, first characteristic of the first soil. Hopefully none of you are the first soil. The seed is thrown on there because their heart is hard. Hard. They have no usefulness for this teaching. They're not interested in Jesus Christ or his message. Most first soil people would be atheists, agnostics, and scoffers. Now, I've traveled the streets of El Rey and shared the gospel with a lot of people. I've met six of them. Okay? And you're probably not in this building this morning. If you're, if you're in this building and you're a first soul person, you're not going to do well with what we're about to say. But that's the first soil. Hard is hard. Devil comes in, picks it up, hauls it off. The soul is no longer burdened with that message. Isn't that nice? You can just go on and live how you want to live until the day of judgment. That's the first soil. Let's look at the second soil. Verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves and so endure for only a time. Afterwards when tribulation and persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Did you hear the characteristics? Second soul people get real excited. Oh, I'm going to go do this. But they have no depth of soil. And so they go out and because they're going to try to do what Jesus tells them to do, they get smacked by the world and persecution comes because of the word. It's very important. It's not because you live in this kind of house or you have this kind of job. It's because of the specific word of Jesus Christ that this person is persecuted and treated poorly, and they say in their heart, you know what, this seemed like a good idea in the beginning, but I can't do it anymore. And I want you to know that there are entire churches that have been built with second soil people who sit around and talk about what they didn't do or what they used to do and failed at doing, and now we'll just all sing songs together. Isn't that nice? That's the second soil. Third soil, verse 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. 
And they are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and because it becomes unfruitful. Very, very interesting. There are three things that keep the third soil from producing fruit. The deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this life and the desires for other things. Since the beginning of time, this has been a problem for mankind. And I want you to know that when the devil had Jesus in the wilderness, he tempted him with these three things. The deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this life, and the desires for other things will keep you from doing exactly what Jesus tells you to do. You go, well, what do you mean? Hang on, we're about to take, a, we're about to take two teachings of Jesus and plug them into this thing, and I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. Okay? But I want you to know that the vines grow faster than the plant does. You ever seen that before? Oh, you haven't. All right, let me give you an example. I was a UPS driver for 10 years. I would drive up and down the Junction City Highway. There was a forest of 100-foot pine trees out there, and the vines killed every one of them. See that imagery when you see the third soil. They had, to, they had to bulldoze the whole field, the whole pine. It was worthless because the vines killed 100-foot pine trees. Okay? So we got the first soil, not interested. Second soil, I'm going to do this, and gets crushed by the persecution. Third soil, I hear the word and I'm going to do it, but the vines come up and they choke it out, and it never produces fruit. Now, I'm going to tell you something. A lot of people will read this parable and they'll go, well, you know what? It's a miracle that the seed got thrown down and a plant came up. That is not the covenant. I want you to know the only thing that matters in this parable is that you bear fruit. It does not matter if you have a whole field full of apple trees if they don't make apples. That's the first, second, and third. Let's get to You want some good news? So here, you're being hard on us. Let's, let's look at the fourth one. Where we all want to be. Come on. Verse 20 is the fourth one. But these are the ones sown on the ground, on good ground. Notice that. Good ground. And those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100. That's where we all want to be. Isn't that where you want to be? Good ground bearing good fruit. The version in uh, Luke 8 says, with patience. Mm. But he hears the word. He accepts it. And he goes out into the world. Boop. Fruit comes up. And then John 15, he comes along and a little bit clips off. And guess what? more fruit comes up. And some say, some will dismiss this and they'll say, well, there's a 30 and that's probably me and the preacher's probably a 60 or 100. I want to go ahead and knock that out of the way. It takes everything you have to be a 30-fold Christian. And if that's all you have, nothing else is required of you, you will hear the Word and do it, and it will take everything you've got. And if 30 is what you've got, then that's all you have. And if you're 100, congratulations, that too. But you get no more credit 
Don't dismiss it and put it in the lazy category. This book offers no hope for anybody who's lazy in the faith. Just throw that out there. All right? So that's the parable. And it is profound, the things that we have just heard. But again, because I know just you're just like I am, you go, I can't see myself as anything else than the fourth soil. And the people who heard Jesus tell this parable to them, they heard it and they went off and thought, well, I must be the fourth soil. But something happened before this parable that tells us who we really are. It will show us who we really are. Am I the first? I'll tell you, there's a couple of questions we need to ask ourselves. I've seen all four of these in my life throughout my lifetime. Have you? When I was a teenager, there were many, many times, years, not interested. I've also had times when I was really excited and I ran out and I tried to do it and I got smacked. And I stepped back and went, whoa, 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 this was hard. And there have been times in my adult life when the deceitfulness of riches began to grow up my leg and the cares of this life with my health and my children and my wife and my job and the desires for other things begin to creep in and they kept me from doing what He commanded me to do. Have you seen these things in your life? I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was around four soil people all the time. Please bear with me, okay? I'm your humble servant. <laughs> Surely you have. But so that we are not mistaken about who we are, we're going to go through two teachings. That's it. Two teachings. If you have me back, I've got next week too. We'll go through a few more next week. But today, we're going to go through two, and we're about to plug them into this parable to find out exactly who we are. So that there's no doubt whether or not we're bearing fruit or we despise His Word. Everybody agree? Everybody on board? Does everybody understand the parable? All right, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 38, so find your spot there. Let me share this with you about the Sermon on the Mount. If a disciple of Jesus should ever ask the question, how should I live to please God? You can start in the Sermon on the Mount. There are 26 different teachings. There are nine different attitudes or mindsets. I've broken them up into 26 different teachings. You can maybe find a few more, a few less, depending on how you divide them up. But if your situation in life is not in the Sermon on the Mount or the rest of the Gospels, run from it. But he's going to tell us exactly how to live. 
And we're going to look at it through the parable of the sower and find out exactly who we are so that we're not deceived and find out if we've fallen victim to or proponents of easy believism. Okay, that's what my purpose is here today. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. Let's begin to read. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Where did that come from? Anybody know? Is that backwards? The law. That's correct. What was the law intended to do? Show you your sin. That's it. That's all the law was given to do was to reveal sin in people. He starts out, I love this. He says, you've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You can go back to Deuteronomy and read this. But what it means in the law is that if you punch me in the eye because you're mad, I get to punch you back. Isn't that nice? We got a lot of that going on right now. All right? So now you got a black eye and I got a black eye and our, our anger has been doubled. And now all that we know is that both of us are sinners, right? That's what it's here to do. He says, you've heard it said. So he's going to start with what they know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then he says, but 30, uh, verse 39, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, you turn to him the other also. Everybody love this verse? There's a song my son introduced me to about this verse right here. He says, look, I like all the other verses except for that one. But he says to them, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If they slap you on the right cheek, you turn to them the other. Now, let's find out. I had a young man come to me one day. Well, he was working for me. I have a very small landscaping business in town, okay? And, and I, I, I hired this young man to come work for me, and he got in my truck, and he told me, he said, hey, guess what? I got saved last weekend. I said, who, who told you you got saved? And he said, well, the preacher led me through some prayers, and he asked all the people if we wanted to be saved. And I said, well, what did he lead you? And he said, well, he had me repeat after him, you know, and say these prayers. And, and I, I heard all that he said, and I asked him, I, he said, he said, and so I got saved and I'm going to be baptized. Well, I've read the book, okay? And I just asked him, do you realize that one of the teachings that Jesus says right in the very beginning of discipleship, right, is that if someone slaps you on the right cheek, you're supposed to turn to them the left? And this young man looked at me and he said, I do what? I said, yeah, that's one of the fundamental teachings of Jesus. He said, dude, you know I'm quoting him now because I don't talk that way. Dude, if somebody hit me in the face, I'd knock them out. Now, before you go ahead and you say, well, he hasn't been grown up yet. He has to be discipled and all of these. I want you to know that if I show up at the car dealership to buy a Ford F-150, And after I've signed the... Y'all aren't my Ford F-150. I'm showing up to get a Ford F-150 and, and, and I sign the paperwork and as I go out to get the vehicle, you hand me the keys and there's a Toyota Corolla sitting there and they say, that's your vehicle. Do you know what that's called? It's called a bait and switch. 
It's illegal in the corporate world, and you will go to jail if you do it. But I'm telling you, what we've done with easy believism, if we told them that they can come to faith in Jesus Christ, but we don't tell them what their commandments are, and when they read it for themselves or they hear it in a sermon or, or whatever the case may be, they go, you know what, I'll take the salvation part, but I'm not interested in the commandments. Do you see the problem? It's a bait and switch. It's illegal. And it's going, all, it's going on all over the world in Christianity. Let's keep reading. Verse 40, if, one, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. You know what a tunic is? It's your underwear. You know what your cloak is? It's what keeps your underwear from showing. Jesus just said, if someone, if an evil person comes up and slaps you on the face, you turn to them, the other one, if they sue you, let them have your underwear and your coat too. You're standing there naked. Why would Jesus ask us to do any of these things? You want to know why? Because you won't do them unless you believe him. You will not endure a slapping on the face. You go, well, nobody slapped me since high school. All right. Some, has anyone treated you poorly at no fault of your own? Listen, if you get in trouble with your own fault, you get the just punishment, right? But has anyone ever treated you poorly or sued you for your clothing? He says, the only reason, listen, every, every teaching on the Sermon on the Mount requires faith. You know what faith is? It's doing what he says, not knowing the outcome. I don't know what will happen if I turn the other cheek. I don't know what will happen if they take my underwear and I'm standing there naked. He says, do it. Do you believe him? We're going to apply it here in just a little bit. All right, let's keep going. Verse 41, and whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. You know who these people are. They demand of you. In today's term, they want a pound of flesh. You ever heard that term before? You gave them a mile. They don't want a mile. They want two. They want three. They want you to keep going. They demand of you. He says, give to them, verse 42, of him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. That's one teaching. How'd you do last week? Can you think back in the recent past? Someone who treated you poorly, someone who sold you, someone who demanded a, a, a pound of flesh from you? What'd you do? Did you turn the other cheek? Let's keep going. There's more. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Where'd that come from? The law. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. No self-dignified Baptist would say they have enemies because we know what this verse says. 
what we do is we say, they can stay over there. That was my mode of operation. If you were my enemy or an evil person, I'm just going to go stand over here and I will pray for you. And if you keep treating me bad, I'll find a psalm or a verse somewhere in there that speaks condemnation upon that person. Do you know what he just said to do? He said, bless them and give the riches of God to that person on your behalf to your enemy. Pray for them. You know how I know this isn't going on in the world today? Because we're as dark as we've ever been. And the great philosophical philosopher Phil Collins said there's lots of people with lots of problems and not enough love to go around. Why should we do this? Verse 45, read it with me. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends his rain on the just and the unjust. Why do I let them slap me? Why do I bless them? Why do I let them treat me poorly? You want to be a son of God? You want to be a daughter of God? Do it in faith. Why? Because didn't God send His Son and rain to produce crops for you all waiting for us to believe? Did He not provide food for our stomachs, air for our lungs, and blood for our hearts all in hopes that we would believe? If God did this for us, should we not do it for our enemies? Were we not enemies of God? I put him up there. And he bore with me for 32 years until I surrendered to him. But hey, easy believism, you don't have to do any of that stuff. Just confess and believe. Do you see the problem? Let's keep going. Verse 46, For you, for if you love those who love you, what, uh, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, do you, what do you have more than others? Do not even tax collectors do the same? Hey, Thanksgiving's coming up this upcoming Thursday. I hope everybody's ready. You get no credit for loving those who love you. Zero. It's your enemy that requires faith. There's a whole group of people over here that are easy for me to love. They're my family. I love them. I don't get any credit for loving them. Tax collectors and sinners do that. He's mocking us. <laughs> yes, he is. It's your enemy. Verse 48 Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your heavenly Father. In heaven, or just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Oh, this man is talking about sinless perfection. No, I'm not. I'm saying, hear the word, do what he says in faith, and your heart will be purified by faith 
in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Ask me how I know. Witness number one. Now, because we're so, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Come on, where's it at? Who can know it? Right? Because we cannot see ourselves other than fourth soil Christians. Let's take the teachings of Jesus and let's plug them into the parable of the sower. So that we can at least peel it back for just a moment and see who we really are. I'm not judging you. I have no right. I want the Word of God to speak to all of us. Isn't that what we came here for this morning? And if it reveals that you're a first, second, or third soul Christian, I'm going to encourage you to move up. Did y'all see that? That was a motivational kick. I'm going to encourage you to move to the fourth soil. So the first one hears what we just read. And he says in his heart, or in her heart, not interested. You mean I'm supposed to stand here and let someone slap me in the face? Is that really a teaching of Jesus? I'm not interested in that. And guess what? Here in a few minutes... If there's anyone in here who's not interested in that, the bird will come along and he will pull that right out of your heart and you won't be burdened with that teaching anymore. You can just go on about life and you can say, you know what? I don't really care what he says. We have misinterpreted this. I always get that one. People say, well, you've misinterpreted it. Did I, did I miss it? Is everybody understanding what we're talking about here? First soul hears it, not interested. Bird comes and comes, takes it away, never to be burdened with it again. Guess what? You got a hard heart. That's what you have. Does that mean you're going to hell? No. Does that mean you're going to heaven? No. That means you have a hard heart. Hear the words of Jesus, do it, and he will begin to plow up your heart. Do you see this? Second soul comes along and he hears the words that we just read and they say, you know what? I'm going to go do this because I believe it. And they run right out that door. They go to who their enemy is. And listen, all of you should have an enemy somewhere in your mind. You know who that person is. If you don't have a that person in your mind, you can borrow some of mine. I got plenty. And, and you think, you mean to tell me this upcoming Thanksgiving? Hopefully it's not family, but maybe it is. Or I'm supposed to do this with my coworker or even my children. Hopefully it's not your spouse. But you mean to tell me I'm supposed to go out and let them continue to treat me poorly? Yeah, that's what it means. And so they run out and they try to do it, and all of a sudden persecution comes because that enemy is going to be an enemy. They're going to do what they do. They don't know how to do anything else. And you're supposed to stand there and bear it. And the second soul person goes, this is too hard. And then they retreat back and they go, you know what? I'm just going to sit here on my blessed assurance. You're the second soul. Move on. 
There's more to Christianity. Third soul person hears it. The words that we just said and says, you know what? I can't get near to my enemy because it's not safe. Don't you tired of hearing about safe? My enemy may, they're unpredictable. If they slap me on the face, you mean to tell me I'm supposed to let them have the other They may actually hit me again. Don't get hung up on the getting hit thing. Remember, it's probably that they will treat you poorly if no fault of your own. I can't let them sue me without a defense. They'll take everything I have. The deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this life, and the desires for other things will choke out the plant and it will never do what Jesus tells it to do. Choke it out. It's not safe. It may cost me what, it, what, what hard things that I've worked for and the wealth that I've amassed. If you want to ever know what the third soil looks like, you need to read the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The man who was beat up was your enemy. And remember, the religious wouldn't touch him because they were afraid that it would mess up their service to God. I'm going to tell you something. What we've just read about Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is your service to God. It's all summed up in the two greatest commandments. Love your neighbor. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Third soul says, there's no way I can do this. And because of those reasons, the cares, the riches, and the desires for other things choke it out. It never bears fruit. And then the fourth soul hears this word. They know who their enemy is. They can see them in their mind. They remember the last time they treated them poorly. They ran away last time, but they believe Jesus. They don't know the outcome of what will be about to happen, but they hear Him say, bless them. Let them treat you poorly. I don't understand why you would ask me to do this, but I believe what you say, and I'm going to do it. And they go and do it, and because their soil is deep, a plant pops up, and guess what? They don't have enemies anymore. I've seen this happen. I had a boss who was... He was, he was hard to work for. He was... An, you know what? I'm not going to talk bad about it. I had a boss who was hard to work for. I couldn't figure out how to live around him. I ran across these words. This is five years after I began to walk by faith. And I heard what Jesus said about it and I said, I believe you. I don't know what's going to happen, but I believe you. And do you know I begin to pray for him? I do begin to do exactly what he asked me to do, as long as it didn't cause me to sin, right? But I begin to do what he tell, told me to do, even though he had led me in the wrong direction with my work on several occasions. But I, 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 I stayed with it and I did it. And do you know what happened? He didn't change. Who did? Me. And then all of a sudden, boop, fruit. 
I didn't produce the fruit. Where did it come from? It's a miracle. You want to know what love is? You want to find the depths of love? You look to that cross and you know that we were His enemies. I'm going to tell you the same love that over, overcame the world that we're still talking about today can live in you for your enemy. And your enemy may not be, they may not repent, they may not come to faith in Jesus Christ, but you will not have an enemy anymore. That man, my boss, could do whatever he wanted to. It didn't change my mind. I saw the same thing, the glimpse of that in me that I see in that cross. You want to know why the world's so dark? It's because we say that we're Christian, but we don't do this. Oh, is he judging us again? No, listen to me. It, it, listen, don't hear me, hear me say that. I have no right to talk to you about heaven and hell. The only thing I'm here to do is tell you, do you walk by the Spirit, which is Jesus Christ, who has just spoken to us, or do you walk by the flesh? The flesh leads to death. The Spirit leads to life. As long as you're still alive today, you have every opportunity to begin to walk by the Spirit. I don't do invitations. Well, why not? Don't, what if someone needs to make a decision? The decision that you need to make is to go out and do what he said. Do you understand? Many of you have been down to these aisles a thousand times. Your heart hadn't been changed. You know why? You're disobeying His commandments. Keep His commandments. Your heart will be purified. And guess what? You'll begin to walk by faith, kind of like Abraham did, one step at a time. Was Abraham ready for Mount Moriah the day he left his house? No. But he had to leave his house, and he did that by faith. And along the way, his steps of faith kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you need a reference to this in the New Testament, remember the parable of the mustard seed that starts out small. I'll tell you, loving your enemy may seem like a huge deal now. Guess what? It's not that big a deal. There's bigger occasions that should be coming. But every step of faith seems like an impossibility. Because when you step on the words of Jesus, believing Him, you don't know if it's going to catch you. I encourage every one of you this morning, go do what you just heard Him say do, and just see what happens. And you're either going to dismiss it and say, no, I'm not, not interested, or you're going to be really excited and get crushed and quit. Or the deceitfulness of riches is going to choke you out of the desires for other things. Or some of you are going to bear fruit and you're going to come up. And you're going to, I don't need you to follow me on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. I don't, I'm on Facebook. Just find me somewhere and say, you know what? God is good. I did what the Word of Jesus said and I believed it. And you know what, you know what will happen in your heart? You will not need anyone to stand up here and say, hey, now's the time for us to worship. You know Why? Because when you step in faith on the words of Jesus and He purifies your heart and He 
peels away the stuff that's in you right now, you will glorify God. I know this is a challenge. I know I've said a lot. I only want you to hear the words of Jesus. And I want you to go and do them. And find out who you really are. Even Paul said, I don't look back, but I press forward to the upward call. Amen? There's nothing for us to do here except for say, I'm going to go do it. If you have any questions, I'm here to answer them. But I will tell you, do what he says. That's all you have to do. Amen?